Last weekend, uh, we kicked off our Christmas series, Hope for Everyone, and we really hopefully wrestled with this tension of having hope in the midst of our disappointment, that we can, in the same breath, love God and yet be disappointed with Him, and that's not actually going to scare Him. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about how do you wrestle with having hope when plan A doesn't turn out, and now you're dealing with this reality called plan B. Uh, Let me just get a show of hands. How many of you in your 20s and 30s had a plan A that you were pretty sure was gonna, life was going to turn out the way that you thought it would? Just raise your hands real quick. Yeah? All right. So how many of you keep your hands up if your life turned out that way? Yeah. Okay. One person, two people, one person the first service, right? Yeah, because life changes, and life doesn't always turn out the way that we had hoped. Sometimes uh, it, it turns out worse. Sometimes it turns out for... Uh, the better. I, I love um, NPR's podcast, uh, How I Built This. If you're an entrepreneur, you like business, you like hearing stories of how people came from nothing to everything, from a no name to a house name. How I Built This is interviews of entrepreneurs that started out with literally nothing to being a big um, household name. In the vein of that, uh, I want to introduce you to an entrepreneur by the name of William Russell Frisbee. You probably know where this is going already. Uh, Frisbee was a baker in Connecticut many, many, many years ago, and he would put his pies in these little tin pie foil thingies, and he would stamp his name at the bottom of them, and it would say Frisbee. Great marketing, branding uh, uh, concept, right? Uh, But in about the, the 40s, some Harvard students were on the front lawn eating these pies, And when you're in college, you're poor and bored. And so when they got done eating those pies, they decided, let's play a game, right? And toss these pies in the air, and it'll be fun. It'll be a great way to pass the time. Well, that bakery shut down, and the company Whammo bought these pies, so to speak. And since then, over 200 million Frisbees have been sold. I just love stories that turn out in ways that we didn't even really expect, right, or imagine. It's kind of cool to hear about some of these stories. But for some of us, uh, plan B isn't that wealthy. <laughs> it, plan B doesn't always turn out the way that uh, it does for some entrepreneurs. For some of you, plan B is difficult because you lost your job over the last 12 to 36 months, right? A relationship came to an end. A business failed. Uh, neighbors that you uh, did life with, your kids grew up with their kids, they recently moved away. And life doesn't always turn out the way that we thought it would. You, you, you've been healthy most of your life, and you received some news, maybe in the last 12 to 36 months, uh, that you now have health problems that you're really having to wrestle with. And I think this idea of hope in the midst of uh, plan A to plan B is super critical because we're in the crossroads of, of a preferred future and shattered dreams, right? That's that moment where we can really drop hope and just say, you know, if there's a God, he's not really interested in me. Uh, my life isn't turning out the way that I thought it would, whatever. <laughs> I'm just going to kind of do my own thing, make it happen, and even trust in my own ability, Friends, it's so critical at this moment because we tend to lose hope, right, when life doesn't turn out the way we expected. Uh, We are losing hope because our lives haven't turned out the way that we expected it. Man, 
When I think about Mary, Joseph's mom, that's a major shift, right? From plan A to plan B. I mean, most historians and theologians would tell you she's in eighth grade. She's around 15 years old, 14, 15, 16, kind of eighth grade, ninth grade area. Some of you parents are like freaking out. I know, I get that. I don't have kids and I'm freaking out for you. Mary's plan A was life with Joseph, right? To have a, a, a healthy marriage, a thriving marriage, to have babies and baby showers, invite friends and family, have people over for the holidays, and just sort of kind of live out plan A, which was life with Joseph, which is, there's nothing really wrong with that, except God showed up. <laughs> Don't you hate that sometimes? When God shows up and says, you fit really well in this outfit, let's try something else. And for Mary, we're going to read in just a moment that her life took a hard right when plan A turned into plan B. Now, I'd encourage you, if you brought a Bible, to turn with me to Luke chapter 1. The, it's the gospel or the, the Christmas narrative that we're going to be in this morning. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, uh, you can download the Bible app on your phone and follow along as well. Uh, he, here's the deal. I mean, maybe this makes me an old guy, but I'm okay with that. I know we live in a Google culture. Whenever I ask my wife something, and which is often, and she doesn't really want to deal with me, which is often, she'll say Google it. But I, I, I want us to develop a relationship with this book, you know. And, and I know it's so easy to read digitally, and, and Audible is a blessing. I love Audible. But, but there's a sense of a benefit of having a relationship with, with a book. And so if you have a Bible, I encourage you to bring it. If you want one, you don't know where to look, would love to talk to you about it. I kind of actually geek over that stuff, right? Uh, so in Luke chapter 1, we're going to read Mary's story today. And it's very similar uh, to Zechariah and Elizabeth's story from week one. Same angel, Gabriel, kind of, you know, the same, same storyline. Please don't freak out. You're not asleep. This is actually happening. I am an angel. And she's going to find out that her life is going to take a big twist. In Luke chapter one, verse 26, Luke writes, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. This is, an, this is a, if you're an HR, this is an encouraging sandwich. Say something nice, deliver the truth, say something nice again, right? Mary was greatly troubled at his words. Yeah, no kidding. And wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you're to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Obvious question, how, is it, how will this be? I don't know how you do it in heaven, but on earth, you have to be intimate with your husband to have a child. I'm a virgin, right? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born uh, will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was, uh, who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month of her pregnancy. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your words to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Fifteen years old. What an experience, right? 
for Mary to find out that her life was, gonna, was going to change very, very quickly. In the first century, Mary was probably thinking about what would happen if this would get out. Uh, because in the first century, which is insane to think about, the man had the legal right to stone his fiance or wife if she had adultery, or committed adultery. Um, and Mary's thinking, okay, if I'm going to have a baby and I'm not married yet to Joseph, no one's going to believe this angel story, so it's likely that I actually might die. Sort of like a crucifixion, right? That most people in the first century did not make it on a cross because the flogging was so severe they would, they would die there. Most people that uh, had to um, uh, receive a stoning actually did not make it. And so you have this beautiful truth that God thinks very highly of you, Mary, but this also historical reality that we tend to not believe women. What is she going to do? See, sometimes plan B comes with fears, right? And depending how organized and detailed you are, too, and how much or how little of a control freak you are. When, when, when plan A turns into plan B, there, there ignites in us some very real fears. And Mary had them. I would, I would love to be the chosen one to give birth to, to Jesus, the, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the Messiah. But I'm also sort of kind of afraid uh, for my, my life, especially in a culture that does not value women. Uh, that treats women like second-class citizens. Uh, it, I've been sharing a lot of this with you through social media when you message me or DM me on Instagram or coffee face-to-face, -face, you know, like in the 90s. Um, and I, I have shared this verse with you that has been very helpful for me, and I know it's been helpful for you. Uh, there is a, we know that there's a, um, a, a physical, scientific, um, medical benefit for getting a good night's rest, right? We, ju we just know that. We don't do it, but we know it's true, right? Sure, at least I don't. Uh, anyways, in, in Proverbs uh, chapter 3, verse 24, the writer says, when you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. When's the last time you remember having a good night's sleep, but a, a, a sweet rest? There is a correlation between our trust in Jesus with what the, the, the way our life is not working out as we perceive it to be, and it, it may be working out with just different perspective, right? Th th there's a correlation between our trust in God and our restlessness or our restfulness in our sleep. Right, so you sort of go, okay, life isn't turning out the way you want it to, okay? then what's the point of staying up to two or three in the morning watching Netflix, but really you're just talking over and over again in your head about something that really ultimately isn't <coughs> in your control? One of the most beautiful, simple, and theologically profound things we can do about who we believe Jesus to be is to get a good night's rest. Right? So, yes, you have permission to go home and take a nap. 
Because often what we don't do or what we do is, well, if life isn't going to, you know, work out my way, I'm going to make it happen. And you're like, you said this a lot week one. Yeah, because we are a forgetful people. And an angel went to an old man who was a pastor at the end of his life, and now he's coming to a young woman who is beginning her life. And both are in the same seasons of life that could have the propensity to sort of give up hope and walk away from God because their life hasn't turned out the way they thought it would. Yes, plan B does come with the tension of being fearful of what you can't control. It's part of the human experience. But plan B also comes with trust, or at least the opportunity to trust in something that something good is going to come my way, that God actually really is for me. And we don't like to trust when things don't go our way because it could be humiliating, it could be condescending, it could be frustrating, it could be a myriad of emotions. Uh, about uh, 11 years ago, it's 2019, so about 11 years ago, uh, I was engaged to be married, uh, not to my now wife, to another gal that I dated for about three years. And six weeks before uh, the wedding, uh, we had a very hard conversation in which she led and said, I just, I'm not, I'm not ready to be married to you or to anybody. Uh, I just, it's just overwhelming. And uh, my, my life, you talk about plan A to plan B and like, you know, 0.5 seconds flat, it altered. My best friend Cody, uh, who at the time was a youth pastor at a church in Salt Lake City said, which is great, so much wisdom that he has. Um, he didn't ask me how I was doing, because hello, obviously. I mean, for a guy to be rejected six weeks before your wedding is pretty humiliating, right? He just said, hey, you just need to come out to Salt Lake City before you kill yourself, do something illegal, or really injure yourself or, or regret something. And he was right. I got in a car, and I drove clear across this beautiful country and landed in Salt Lake City. That was a wild experience. I remember, I remember sitting in one of those, you know, I got preacher hands, so sitting in one of those like crane things where it, it takes you up 50 feet in the air. I was working at a fulfillment center. Now, if you know me, this is funny, so you can laugh if you want. Doing inventory. Math is not my strong suit. I love theology and religion and art and poetry. A and B, not resolving is fine with me. Life is more like jazz music. Jazz, jazz music doesn't really resolve all the time, and I'm okay with that. And I remember <coughs> summer of 2008 being 50 feet in the air with a harness around my, you know, around my uh, person, and I would have to lean over and look at a box in my spreadsheet. I don't do well with spreadsheets. And it would say this box should have... 53 erasers, some random number, then it was my job to count the erasers in the box 50 feet in the air. I just put a check. I just put a check. That's a lack of integrity. Yep, but it's also a life well lived because I survived. I can't tell you how many times when I was 50 feet in the air or whatever it was where I lost it and bawled my eyes out. I'm 24, 5. I should be married. It, it is three weeks after my wedding day. I should not be in Salt Lake City. I should not be counting erasers for a part-time job. I should be 
on plan A. It's embarrassing. It's humiliating. And depending on gender and personality and temperament, there's a lot of emotions, right, that come out of that. Later um, in that summer, before I head back to Cincinnati and went to seminary, because what else are you going to do when you break up? You go to school, I guess. Uh, before I go to seminary, uh, I, and it took me a while to get here, I wrote her a note, and I thanked her. Uh, because there's a real tendency, right, to when you tell a story as a communicator to throw the other person under the bus. I, I thanked her because it was the wise thing to do. And I said, I don't, I don't know how... I don't know how you got to a place where you could do that six weeks before a, we a wedding, but I, I thank you for your courage to do that because there was an unraveling that needed to happen in my life and in my spirit because I was treating her like an idol. And by that, I know that's Bible language, but basically like if I don't marry this person, my life has no meaning. Right? There's another Bible word for that. It's called idolatry. It's, it's worship, but it's just in the wrong direction. And a lot of times we put God expectations and the weight of those on other people that they're not even created to shoulder. They're just too heavy. Plan B gives us an opportunity to trust Jesus or to walk away from him. I love Mary's response when her life drastically uh, changed. Uh, her response and I totally lost, oh, no, I didn't, here we go. Uh, her response is in Luke chapter 1, verse 38. She says, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Now, to you, that's like, whatever, she said yes. No, 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 there's something more, there's something beautiful happening here, okay? I want to remind you that Luke's a doctor, and for fun, and maybe for a profession, he's also a historian, Okay. When Luke writes and records Mary's statement, I am the Lord's servant, may your word to me be fulfilled, what he's using is the operative meaning. In other words, when Mary is saying these things, she's saying it with a wishful desire to want to do this. I, I am not just the Lord's servant. I, I, I had hoped, I had wished that when the Messiah would come for his people, that I would be the chosen person to carry to full term the Messiah, the Son of God. This wasn't like, hey Mary, your life's going to change and you're a virgin, but you're going to give birth to the Son of God. Okay, I'll do it. No, no, no. It's a full body, song in my heart, smile on my face, this wishful, futuristic tense of, man, I am so glad that I've been chosen to do this. I will gladly do this. I don't know about you, but sometimes 15-year-olds uh, have more faith than me. I didn't want to gladly go to Salt Lake City. I didn't want to gladly count erasers for a living <coughs> for that summer. But I did out of frustration. And there's this beautiful reality that Mary's giving us that when A turns to B, there's still a desire Right, it's still a desire and a willingness in her heart to want to do what God asked her to do. Here's the reality, friends. What has our heart gets our worship. This is called marketing, right? Why do you want the stuff that you want to buy this Christmas? Because it gives you value. It, it's not, I'm not coming down on you. It, there's stuff that I want. 
because it gives me value and adds meaning to my life. Mary's the same way. What has our hearts gets our worship. And sometimes that means money, right? But for Mary, she says, no, my heart belongs to the Lord, regardless of how crazy this news announcement is that I'm still going to follow him even if he asks me to do a difficult thing. Here's what's really cool about this, whether you, may, you realize this or not. In the first century, these were all arranged marriages, right? And so uh, the parents got together, Mary and Joseph. A dowry had to be paid. And it was almost like this like legal transaction where Joseph his parents and a representative would go with them to marry her parents' house, and they would basically have this legal exchange. And when the dowry's paid, then the coffee and tea and the drinks and the food and the appetizers uh, come out, and then it's, it's a big party. For women in the first century, there wasn't often an opportunity to have your own voice. Listen to me, students. This is the first time Mary, as roughly a 15-year-old young teenager, was able to make a decision for herself. This is the first time, listen to me, parents, where Mary said, my faith does not belong to my parents. It belongs to me. And even though I'm asked to do a really difficult thing, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. See, for most of Mary's life, if not all of it, she didn't have a lot of decision rights. But in her and in your relationship with Jesus, you do. You do. So when we go to Kenya again in the next summer or two, maybe that's your moment where you're like, you know what? I'm going to make my faith my own. I'm going to go to Kenya with Ben on a 24-hour flight, Right? This is the first time Mary gets to make her own decisions. And I don't know about you, but I remember, like, even now as I'm preaching as a 37-year-old, being a teenager, giving my life to Christ and being baptized and going on mission trips, those are very formative decisions that I was able to make. It didn't belong to my parents. I was making these decisions on my own. My parents were there to support me and love me for sure, but these were decisions that I was making uh, on my own. Yeah, plan B, it comes with fear. Yeah, obviously, it's a human experience, but it also comes with an opportunity to trust and to give the response that Mary gave. I will gladly do this, even though I am scared for my life. I will do this, God, if you ask me. Uh, plan B is fearful. It's an opportunity to trust, but it's a really cool opportunity to surrender. It's an opportunity to surrender. Uh, I, I don't like admitting this, but when plan A turns into plan B in my life, it's, it's, it's a question where I have to ask, do you, Ben, do you really think you're in control? Do you really think that you run the world, right? It's all about you and everyone's in it. Ben, do you really think that your life is a movie and you're the lead actor? It's not. That's the greatest lie we can believe, that life is a story about us. It's not. It's about God <laughs> and our ability to, to play, to have a relationship, to love and enjoy and experience Him. Plan B is an opportunity to surrender our lives to Jesus. And I don't know about you guys, but I find that my life constantly is turning to plan B. I don't know if that's my sheer stubbornness, 
my willfulness, my lack of, you know, the ease to talk about Jesus and the difficulty to actually follow him on Monday. I don't know about you guys, but I find my life constantly going from A to B, this constant reminder, Ben, are you in control or are you willing to surrender your life? Yeah, plan B gives us an opportunity to surrender. Notice what Mary does after the angel leaves. She goes and visits Elizabeth. At the time, Mary got ready and hurried to town in the hill country of Judea. Hill country. Mary's pregnant. We're talking 50, 60 miles. Walking, right? Both ways, uphill. She's walking, pregnant, right? She's Beyonce before Beyonce was a thing, right? She's a strong, independent woman. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child that you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in her womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Oh man, this is good. You don't even know it. You're welcome. Luke is a doctor and a historian. Luke just told us in the, in the Greek language that <clears throat> Elizabeth, <clears throat> excuse me, did not find out that Mary was pregnant because Mary told her. This is how Elizabeth found out that Mary was pregnant with Jesus. When Mary rolls into town and walks into Elizabeth's house, John the Baptist leaps for joy, and Jesus leaps for joy in the womb. What? Babies? Now understand what I'm trying to do when I say this. But babies have a theological idea of who Jesus is. From the womb, John the Baptist, right, is saying... That baby is God, the Son of Man, the Messiah, the Son of God, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He already is, and we sing this, right? Jesus is Lord at his birth. The fulfillment of Malachi 4.2, But for you who revere my name, the Son of the righteous will rise with healing in his wings. You will go out and frolic like well fed calves. John frolicked. He leapt. We've got a gif. I love gifts. I would not take Spanish 3 in high school if I knew gifts were a thing. This is John. I feel like this is John's expression when he meets Jesus. When Mary, you can laugh. It's church. All right, relax. Uh, when Mary and Elizabeth met, I felt like she had this, or John had this excitement, like this guy is going to be the, uh, the son of God. He was <clears throat> excited, and then the text says he leapt for joy. So John was literally leaping it be for nice joy, if right? We older, we yeah, so and if you were invited by a friend, I know you're not coming back, all right? But please <laughs> come back. The things I do to communicate a point. This is what's happening. Moms, moms, listen. I know we've got some uh, expected moms for the first time here. Look how beautiful this is. Hmm. That there's this beautiful conversation, so to speak, artistically, theologically, 
that John and Jesus are having, and they're not even born. <laughs> they're not even born yet. Because in the womb, Jesus is given, uh, we'll, we'll have time to talk about, three different titles. Now, I got a pool, um, oh, what's that show where the plane crashes? They, they go back and forth. Yeah, I'm going to pull a lost moment and go to Luke chapter 1, because in Luke chapter 1, at the beginning of our text, Jesus is described, given three different titles. The first one is Jesus, right, which literally means Jehovah saves. It, it, it's, it's, it's the same word as, as Joshua, uh, if you would call your, or name your boy Joshua. Well, why is that significant? Well, Joshua was a type of Christ that, leads God, that led God's people into the promised land. And yet, in, um, in pregnancy, Luke is saying Jesus is greater than Joshua. What were the Israelites running from? Pharaoh. Slavery. Bondage. Going from Egypt to Canaan. What are you running from? Slavery. To your sin. And your vices. And what should have taken the Israelites two weeks... 40 years. I'll talk about this more in a series that we're going to do in February, but a lot of people think that discipleship is linear, A to B. It's more like a slinky. It's circular. And that's kind of the vibe you get and the reading you get when you read the Old Testament, when you read Exodus, when you read the book of Judges. People that want to be here but are stuck here, but in the reality, it's their circles. They're not getting as fast and as far as they want to, but they're they're, they're moving, and you get this beautiful idea that Jesus is a greater Joshua in that Jesus is willing to journey with us in our wilderness, in the midst of running from Pharaoh to Canaan, in the midst of running from our own self, our own devices, to having peace and freedom. Secondly, Jesus is titled in this text, uh, let's just talk about the throne of David. In 2 Samuel 7.25 the writer says, now the Lord God keep forever the promises you made concerning your servant at his house. Do as you promised so that your name will be great forever. Then the people will say, the Lord Almighty is God and over Israel and the house of your servant David will be established in your sight. King David, make a name for yourself. We're still telling us the same lies today, aren't we? Well, what does it mean that Jesus is given a description as being part of the throne of David. Well, Jesus is a kind of David. He's actually greater than King David because Jesus, according to Scripture, is the God of this entire universe. He, he rules and reigns. To use a Bible word, he's, he's sovereign over the inhabitants of the earth at birth. There's no coronation ceremony. There's no election he doesn't need to be a president or have a cabinet to, you know, ask his opinion. Should I do this or should I not do this? No, 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 no. Jesus is the king of kings before Mary even gives birth. He's a greater David. So you have this sense of Jesus, who's greater than Joshua, being a journeyman, helping us walk through life in, in the midst of our wilderness. Then you get a sense that Jesus is greater than David, so he's not only walking with us, but he's also above us in rules and reigns, and nothing, surprised, nothing surprises King Jesus. And then the third and final title is talked about as being the, over the house of Jacob. In Isaiah 2, 3 through 5, 
the writer says, many people will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, which we would say, let's go to church. Same thing, right? Let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of God, to the temple of the God of Jacob. I need to drink decaf. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Man, that's a sermon right there in and of itself. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many people. Check this out. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations will not take up swords against nation, nor will the train, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. So you've got a journeyman, you've got a king, and then you have this idea that someone is over the house of Jacob. And notice the language that I just read. This person is someone who will settle disputes. They'll teach us. They'll help us walk in a path, straight path, and they'll help us be like them. What kind of language is that? That's parenting language. That's family language. And so you get this beautiful idea from Dr. Luke that says at, before Jesus' birth, you have this idea that he's going to lead us through the wilderness of our lives, He's over any political person, any entity, or anything that can happen. He's completely sovereign, ruling and reigning over anything that we experience in this life. Nothing surprises Jesus. And then, while he's doing that, he's like a father who leads us and guides us. And, yeah, smacks us upside the head because some of us need some discipline, right? Sure. And, oh, this is so beautiful. We get to be like him. He's going to teach us how to be like him. See, what, friends, when plan A turns to plan B, it is, and I get it, it's so easy to drop the bag of hope and just move on. Don't do it. Don't do it. There, there's a Messiah coming that we're going to celebrate in two weeks on Christmas Eve. His name's Jesus. He saves us. He rules over us, over us, and he leads and guides us like a good father that we sing about. So let me pray and we'll continue in worship. Uh, Jesus, thanks so much for this beautiful reality that when our lives don't turn out the way that we had hoped and we're left holding shattered dreams, that you still want to walk alongside us. That you want to be with us. You want to you rule over us so we don't have to carry that mantle of figuring life out on our own. And you want to be a dad. You want to be a father figure that corrects us, rebukes us, hugs us, encourages us, and you invite us to be like you. There's so much hope at Christmas waiting for us. And I just pray for my friends here, those that are watching online, that if their heart is, is weak and their trust is weak, may they rest in you to know that you are a good God. And at your birth, your Lord, you're in control. Thank you for the hope of Christmas. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.